Hello all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today, we are going to be reviewing Ryan Johnson's newest film, Glass Onion, colon, A Knives Out Mystery. All right, Sarah, you're going to kick us off with an IMDb summary for Glass Onion. Sure. Famed Southern detective Benoit Blanc travels to Greece for his latest case. Gosh, the name Benoit Blanc is just so good. It's so, so satisfying good. to say, so satisfying to hear. They did really well naming this guy. All right, so let's start off with our one-sentence summaries for Glass Onion. Sarah, what was yours? My one-sentence summary is, when you listen to Yo-Yo Ma, everything makes sense. Yes. He makes a little little appearance here. He makes a little appearance, and it warmed my little heart. Five-second appearance. And also, his appearance explains the entire movie and so I was like oh this is candy that's wonderful (laughs) thanks yo-yo ma indeed indeed all right uh my one sentence summary is if we take a lightning shaped cardboard cutout and smother it with gold glitter it doesn't mean lightning struck twice (laughs) (laughs) oh it's so good yeah a lot of glitter okay there is a lot of glitter I was wondering where we were going with a cardboard cutout, and then mm-hmm. you got there, and it was got perfect. There. <laughs> oh, so good. All right. Let's uh, dive in with our initial thoughts of Glass Onion. And because this is a mystery, it seems perfectly fitting that uh, we will not spoil the ending of this movie. We'll talk about Glass Onion at a high level, more generally, and then uh, we'll give it a spoiler and have full reign over all of the plot points. And you definitely, of all movies, want to go into this one uh, with very little context about what happens. Okay, so Sarah, I am so curious what you thought about Glass Onion. I know you love mysteries and you've watched your fair share of detective stories and mysteries and whatnot. How did Glass Onion do for you? Yeah, I I love mysteries. Mysteries are so fun because I'm just, I'm trying to figure out, it's a puzzle that I'm trying to solve for the entire movie. And so it's just a fun little thought exercise. Um, I, I had fun with Glass Onion. Uh, it's definitely not as good as Knives Out. Uh, in reference to your one-sentence summary, lightning did not strike twice. Um, but I had fun with this. It's silly. It's goofy. It's obnoxious in a lot of ways. The way that it's structured is very odd. Um, and you know what? I had fun. I was along for the ride. I was picking up clues with Benoit Blanc, and I had fun. I did, after the movie was over, really, really want to watch Knives Out again. And I was perplexed as to why it wasn't on Netflix. So that is a question that I have for the service of what gives. Because that's all I wanted to do after I watched Glass Onion, was watch the magic of Knives Out again. So while I think this is a fun movie, it's a good time, like, it's a good, like, lazy Saturday afternoon type movie it's not you know the the overwhelming like oh my gosh this was a great movie 
that I had when we watched Knives Out. You know why Netflix doesn't have Knives Out? Because they knew we'd be disappointed with Glass Onion. It's true. You're not wrong. I made the mistake of watching Knives Out before Glass Onion. Oh, Jen. No. I did. I did. Classic mistake. Uh, <laughs> I, it was over the holidays and uh, I wanted my family and for us all to watch Glass Onion together. And I was like, well, you should watch the first one since there's a whole colon and a reference to the first one in the title of this movie. I was like, okay, well, we should watch Knives Out together. Um, I watched it not once, but twice. <sighs> Oh. My family, oh. uh, wow. because one of my family members like just got caught up in wanting to rewatch it again and get all the details because there's some things that he missed the first time around. So I watched Knives Out twice, so I got to just soak in how strategic and well structured it was, and just like there are so many layers to the twists and turns from the overarching storyline to these small little character moments that are just like honestly in there that are ornamental and purely for fun but are still so delicious like every little crumb is delicious in that movie and so you know one of the questions that I had before going to when we were talking about watching Glass Onion is will it live up to the hype can Ryan Johnson do it again and man Glass Onion just pales in comparison to Knives Out um I actually was so hopeful for about 70% of this movie because structurally, and I'm, I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts about the structure of this movie when we get into it, um, having consumed a lot of mystery and detective um, stories. But structurally, this this takes a little bit of a, a twist and a turn in the first half, which I thought was like pretty interesting. And I was like, oh, this is this could actually all – somehow layer up to be really well done and we've got this extra twist that was in the middle um but i think ultimately this the way that this movie reveals its ending and what actually transpires is just so disappointing so this is my lightning shaped cardboard cutout like if you really peel off all the glitter and kind of the fun visuals of this movie the the meat and potatoes of it just isn't there and uh, I was just so impressed at Knives Out's ability to structurally build these layers and these puzzle pieces that are not are revealing themselves not like once for that one twist, but multiple times and continually changing our perspective and angles that we're seeing the events that unfold. And uh, Glass Onion just doesn't do that. I think there's also just a lot that this film uh, doesn't take advantage of as much with the individual characters. I think that they all are constructed in a, in a like well-intentioned way. Um, I think that this movie is probably more interested in like some of the social commentary it's trying to communicate more than actually giving us like a really meaty, meaty mystery for us to sink our teeth into, uh, which is just an interesting choice. And I wonder if it was an intentional choice. Um, I've just been also surprised reading a lot of like critics reviews and just general like audience sentiments that a lot of people are like really loving this movie. So I'm like, okay, well, it's it's doing its job. It's clearly entertaining people and it's a crowd pleaser and people are loving it and eating it up. So I was a little bit surprised at that as well. So. Yeah, no, I've been surprised by that too because even though I had a fun time watching it, 
I want, I expected a better movie than this is. This was very much like this, like fluff movie that I was like, Oh, this is just a fun roller coaster ride that we're on. This is great. But it's not, I don't know. I, I expected more. I expected more from Ryan Johnson, especially because he was able to create knives out. Maybe that's an unrealistic expectation. Uh, you know, maybe I was expecting lightning to strike twice, but uh, the the positive reviews have been surprising to me because it's it's fun, but it's not like a great movie. I don't think. I don't know. What do we know? Yeah, I, I've read so many comments about people feeling like this was like even better than the first Knives oh, Out. No. Um, and I think part of it is potentially because it's just it's like a bit flashier, and so pure entertainment spectacle factor I think it definitely like is bigger and bolder and more colorful and I think the characters are even more colorful than they were in the first movie as well um but if we really like look at this as a mystery I think that's the category that it really fails um in comparison to the first one and if people aren't coming to this movie for that then Sure, like this is this is a more maybe a more fun ride, but I think what made Knives Out so exciting the first time around was just that like roller coaster ride that we were on and all of the twists and turns that come with it through this lens of of, of being a mystery. I mean, that's what this is all about. So, um, yeah, it's just surprising. I my my other theory is that potentially that twist that happens in the like smack dab in the middle of this movie is where like people got really excited too. I think that maybe that was really exciting and satisfying for folks. Yeah. Now, now we're just going to need to do some like polling of people. Right. Get some more information about this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The good thing is that I think a lot of people will be watching this. So we'll have, Mm -hmm. we'll have a good pool of possible data points for us. (laughs) It's true. And I mean, honestly, as far as Netflix movies go, this is a good one. You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's way it's the top tier of Netflix properties. So it's probably <laughs> yeah. the bottom of the top tier, but it's yeah. still in that top tier. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there's that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a conspiracy theory too, which I'll sh- share when we get to the when we get to the spoiler territory. Oh, Shall we okay. venture yes. into that? I, I must know. Okay. Yes. Uh, all right. So if you haven't seen Glass Onion, we recommend checking it out. As we mentioned, this is a mystery. We don't want to have the whole ending ruined. So go watch it before you continue listening. Okay. So my conspiracy theory, because the first one was just so great and this one was just so not. And what was interesting to me is in that final ending sequence, Benoit Blanc, like, outright makes a statement where he's like this is just so dumb like it's all so stupid it's all so shallow Mm -hmm. right and so part of me is like what if like what if this movie is self-reflective enough to know that this second sequel is meant to be a cloud pleaser it's meant to be flashy it's meant to be fun and because we have this colon in the title I'm assuming that they're thinking more strategically about this being a series mm-hmm. and a franchise. Yeah. And so this potentially helped tempers expectations for the third one to be Ooh. on the same level as Knives Out, number one. That's my theory. Like, let's make a dumb, flashy, fun experience. 
lower people's expectations, and then we'll hit it out of the park. You know what? I like it. I will accept this theory. <laughs> we will find out in two years when the third movie comes out, if things go according to schedule. Oh, I didn't – I actually didn't know that. So they already have the third one planned. Mm-hmm. I, oh. I think I my facts could be wrong, but from what I remember, uh, there is – they signed a deal for two more movies. So okay. number two and number three. Okay. Okay. Smart they didn't do the James Cameron, like, let's just give you all the money <laughs> and <laughs> commit to four more. They're like, no, let's just try two more. Yeah. I mean, this would explain any bad second movie sequel ever made. Like, let's just yeah. suck. We know people will turn out for it. <laughs> they expect things to suck now. And then our third movie will be fantastic. <laughs> But if you're going to go that route, you already have to have number three guaranteed Mm -hmm. because if number two sucks and it doesn't perform well, then you lose interest in number three. Mm. You lose money on number two if you're doing a theater release. So Mm -hmm. this conspiracy theory works in this particular setting because it's Netflix and because I believe that it was already agreed upon movies two and three. So. Mm Mm-hmm. You you might be correct. We will find out. <laughs> Our detective himself is saying that the reveal of the events that happen are just silly and in plain sight and shallow. Well, that's that's what I was like. Hmm, this is really dumb. I agree with you, Benoit Blanc. You are picking up on something here. Perhaps this was well designed. You know, <laughs> like maybe Ryan Johnson is just outsmarting all of us. You know what I'm saying? Well, and what I was wondering, like, is is Ryan Johnson trying to do some like really like meta thing about like, I don't know, movies are so dumb or like Mm. mysteries are so like dumb and easy to figure out. Like, I don't know. I, I was trying to figure out like, oh, are you trying to tell us something more? Yeah, yeah, because it's such a contrast to the first movie where it was so complex and convoluted and layered and there was so many reveals that changed how you saw all of the other events that happened prior like like prior knowledge that you had about the events that happened. And there's so many moments where Benoit Wong's like it really isn't this complicated. It's hiding in plain sight. Like we are we don't need to overthink this like this is just what happened you know and i i mean i don't know about you but the the person that is ultimately behind the whole operation was kind of the obvious choice to begin with as well you know which mm-hmm. a thousand percent felt yes. so unsatisfying and so i'm almost grateful that the movie itself is perhaps self-reflective enough to like clearly state the obvious so that we're not it's almost criticizing itself before we have a chance to criticize it because it is obvious and what transpires like there's some of the like little details and events that are being revealed but for the most part like the motive and the primary suspect are who we were expecting it to be the whole time right so I was just surprised by that Mm -hmm. I I like your your theory I think it's a good one you know, we we knocked it out of the park with number one. We're going to keep it simple and straightforward while still being, you know, bright and shiny and entertaining. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe they'll knock it out of the park again with number three. <laughs> End the series on a high note. 
Maybe it's maybe he's also attempting this like reverse psychology. Like, ooh, you know my first one is really complicated and I know you're all going to be overthinking this. Therefore, I'm going to make mm-hmm. it as simple as possible and like jokes on you now, you know? <laughs> and sometimes like mysteries will will do that. It's it's the obvious suspect is the one who did it and it's really really fun to like go on this ride sometimes mm. sometimes it's just like no it was always them what are you doing wasting your time but sometimes it's really fun to like all of these misdirects and you're going down all of these other rabbit trails that actually aren't important before they finally lead you back to that really mm. really obvious suspect at the beginning but this one doesn't really even do that it's just kind of like okay this is your obvious suspect all of these other events happen. Oh yeah. And it was this really obvious suspect again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Surprise. There wasn't a lot of mystery to figure out. It was was pretty straightforward. (laughs) So like I, I understood why Benoit Blanc was, was so annoyed. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and in a lot of ways, Benoit Blanc is, the stand-in for us as the audience as well, you know, like as he's discovering these details and and discovering who these people are, we are doing that along with him. And so I felt, I felt his frustration too. (laughs) I think that perhaps what this movie did that was very different from the first one is the twist that happens about halfway through around um, Helen being the stand-in for Andy and ultimately that the true murder that we're attempting to solve or, or try to find uh, the whodunit for isn't actually what transpires on the island. It's what happened, you know, a week beforehand. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on that structurally and how that plays out for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't love it. <laughs> Um, I, because, so like a staple of the murder mystery genre is that you, you see that the murder has happened, you gather clues, red herrings, all of the things. And then in the end, the detective comes and he sums up the case. Usually you get some flashbacks as to what really happened, but the detective is summing up the case. And I, I like that the film goes, nah, man, Benoit Blanc is bored and he's not going to sum up the case like normal. But I don't like that the back half of the film is just retelling everything that we had already seen, but now with Helen instead of Andy. You know, I just... I don't know. I, I felt like it, it was off balance to me structurally. So I would have liked that that second half with Helen maybe to be shorter. Um, and then I, I feel like that might have been, I don't know, more more fun to watch. Just something about it didn't sit well with me, maybe because most of it is just like relying on flashbacks and I just have a thing against flashbacks. So it could be a Sarah problem. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that, that twist was, was not my favorite. I, I agree. It didn't work for me at all. Um, 
but it only, I only realized that it didn't work for me at all until we got to the end when I realized that it not like the, the two things don't really connect because mm-hmm. when the twist is happening, what becomes potentially really interesting is that there's a murder now that has happened on the island, which we're also figuring out who, who, who done it there. Then there's a murder that happened a week beforehand. And I, I thought where the movie was potentially going is that the, the events and the details and the clues that they uncover at the island are also simultaneously filling in puzzle pieces for the murder that happened previously. And that mm-hmm. these, these details would then intertwine together and lead us to who is ultimately behind both of those murders. Uh, but what the movie transitions to is kind of this big reveal, like, okay, she has a twin sister. We're now, as you mentioned, going through all these flashbacks. And then their objective is kind of like a evidence and clue finding journey, but they don't find anything interesting. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they're ransacking people's rooms. They're like going about trying to observe everyone, but not there's no information collected that ultimately then reveals that it's all leading towards Miles. And it also doesn't like give us any other details about the murder that actually happened on the island. So we're kind of lost in the like three quarters of the way mark around like 75% of the way through. I'm like, wait, what? We're not collecting any information. This nothing is beginning to piece together. I I don't know what we're doing here. It almost feels like a spy mission more than a mystery where these mm-hmm. two characters, um, Helen and Ben Blanc are now working together to like spy on them and like sneak around versus it being a true mystery and uncovering events and puzzle pieces that will then fit together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go from playing Clue to playing Where's Waldo? <laughs> but they still think that they're playing Clue, but they're no longer yes. playing that game. Mm-hmm. Yes. And thus, it is confusing. Right. And all yeah. of a sudden, we're playing a different game. Mm-hmm. Which I think is ultimately why when we get to the the end scene where it follows the more traditional structure that you've mentioned around, okay, here's where the detective is going to reveal the events that unfolded it becomes less interesting because we were never focused on which of those two murders anyway and putting together those pieces. I actually think that if the movie had somehow strung those clues together, like the clues that they find about the murder on the island, then give them more information for what happened a week prior. Almost like, I don't know if you played Wordle when it was all the craze, but there's there's like single board wordle and then there's wordle where you're guessing letters that are solving for four different words simultaneously like that's where I thought we were going with this which I thought was going to be so mm-hmm. interesting and like well crafted and designed because uh, that's a lot more challenging to do but we, we kind of just step away from all of that yeah yeah it, it's almost like the movie kind of gets lost within itself and it stops, like we said, like it stops being a whodunit. So then what does it become? Yep. Yep. Exactly. We, we don't know. Some rich people on an island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which, you know, if we wanted to transition into being a spy movie, then let's focus on finding the person who murdered um, Andy and all of the clues that they begin to uncover, like, you know, that 
that little scene with whiskey and the detail about her necklace. Like all of that then becomes details that we use to construct what happened to Andy. Um, But then again, to your point, it falls into the same trap of then we always have to rely on flashback because we never get to see and and see that unfold. Um, So we're kind of juggling many events, too many events. Yeah, and and there's not really any uh, like strong misdirects in this. Uh, that was one thing that Knives Out did so well. There were so many red herrings in that movie and you had to decide as you were watching it, like, oh, is this important or is this meant to throw me off the trail? And I think with Glass Onion, it was just all so straightforward. I, I mean, the only thing that I didn't guess in this movie was the twin sister. Like, because I'm not going to guess a twin sister. I'm just not. Uh, but everything else, I, 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 I pretty much got the first go around. So I don't know. Maybe if there were more little misdirects and little red herrings and like, oh, we're going to investigate over here. But oh, nope, that's actually not anything. Okay, we have to like redirect. And I know that they tried to do that because all of the characters had a motive. Everybody had an opportunity I get that, but there wasn't ever any one like strong suspect. It was just they all seemed to be on the same level as potential murderers. And I don't know, it just made it easier to guess what was actually happening. Yeah, that's very true. And all most of the misdirects that do happen are done by <laughs> Blanc and Helen. Like if we think about mm-hmm. the, the hot sauce, right? That's like a big – feels like a big twist, right? Because we thought that she yes. was dead and then she was killed and then it turns out it's just the hot sauce. This is why it's a spy movie. The more that I think about it, this is, this is a spy movie. <laughs> it this sure is, is. This yeah. is Benoit Blanc and Helen outsmarting the rest of them. That's what this is. <laughs> this is Daniel Craig detoxing from being right. James Bond. Yes. Exactly. This is his intermediate step before he goes back to just, just making. Can't shake it, you just can't shake it. This is the crossover movie. You're so right. Benoit Blanc, ex MI6 spy. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Bond, he, he goes through this traumatic experience. He leaves. He is presumed dead. Mm-hmm. He, cre- he creates a new identity for himself. As yes. a southern gentleman who just yes. solves crimes. Right. Problem solved. Mm-hmm. Wow, we solved the mystery within the mystery. <laughs> oh, we're great at this. Amazing. Wow, we really figured it out. We did. I'm proud of us. Mm-hmm. We're good at this. We've got like we've got the like psycho bond villain that is like wanting to take over the whole world because it's the stakes so apparently have to be very large <laughs> you know like oh, world domination yeah. you know like, uh we've got the blonde girl yeah he has his own island i yes. mean how many bond villains have their own island hello mm-hmm. obsessed with like glass and modern uh <laughs> art and things every bond villain lair looks like that <laughs> and like some kind of Amazing. technology innovation Absolutely. that is also warped and uh, shady, you know? 
It all tracks. <laughs> it does track. <laughs> oh, this is incredible. All right. There's somewhere exotic that also checks that box. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Have, have a bunch of henchmen. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Great. Some far off beautiful place that we have yeah. to travel to. There's a whole scene where him and Helen have share an ice cream as they're like plotting how they're going to disguise her. Yeah. I mean, wow. She's a Bond villain that really has autonomy. Or a Bond girl that really has autonomy. Wow. And you know what? I really appreciate how (sighs) she is innovating the Bond girl thing. You know, like (laughs) she's looking classy the whole time. Mm -hmm. She wears flats, I believe, the entire movie, which I highly respect. That. You know, it's this is pretty great. Mm-hmm. We are sh- just sh- changing the Bond movie, right? Genre, right? I mean, we've been talking about how the Bond franchise really needs a refresh. It needs to be modernized. It needs to be brought into the twenty twenty two. And this is how Amazing. we're doing it through Glass <laughs> Onion. Wow! <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. This is, I mean, wow. What a great James Bond film we've just watched. I know. The newest in in the newest in this (laughs) franchise. Yes. Forget the last one that we watched however many months ago. Nah. This is the real James Bond movie right here. Don't let the phrase after the colon have you fooled. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That is the real twist of this whole experience. Glass onion. A Knives Out Mystery, colon, part of the James Bond franchise. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, wow. I think we solved it. We did. Wow. (laughs) All right. So this is a spy movie. It's a James Bond film. It really is. Here we are. James Bond is now a part of the Witness Protection Program, and he (laughs) has become Benoit Blanc. This is amazing. Precisely. Precisely. I'm so excited for the for the next installment in the James Bond franchise. I know. I expect a car chase in the next Knives Out movie. Ooh, yes, mm-hmm. uh, with an Aston. I was so ready for it when I saw the, <laughs> the car. car. Yeah, I I knew that it was a Porsche. I knew it, but I wanted it to be an Aston because that would have been so funny. But it wasn't. They went with a Porsche. It's fine. That I was would ready solidify for it. our conspiracy theory. Yes. That's Dang. the final, you know, that's the hole in our donut. Maybe though, maybe because that was the bad guy's car. You can't have a bad guy driving an Aston. Ah, that just doesn't true. work. We need to see what Benoit Blanc's car is. In the next movie. Yep. Yes. I'm excited. And it needs to be an Aston. Knives Out 3. Yes. The Bond Cinematic Bond Universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The more I think about this, it it it, it all tracks. This is every every twist that happens is is not by the murder because our murder is silly and dumb and unoriginal and and he's not clever at all in this movie. Which I thought I just felt like that was such a disappointment. I mean, like part of what makes any detective mystery story exciting is Seeing the way that the detective is chased, it's a cat and mouse game. They're chasing after the mouse that is slightly one step ahead of them, outsmarting them 
at just the right moments. And for our mouse to be so incompetent was just, I thought, so disappointing in the ending. And maybe that's one reason why maybe we didn't love this movie as much as so many other people do is because we really enjoy competent characters like Mm. we we've talked about this in a bunch of movies but like even if a character is a terrible human being but if they're good at their job there's something there (laughs) you know like Mm. and i i think you're right like especially in a murder mystery what makes the mystery as exciting is how did they pull it off are they going to get away with it type of Mm -hmm. thing where this really just boils down to Miles has a lot of money and can intimidate other people with the information that he knows. So it's, yep. I, that's just, and that can be fun and interesting, but I don't know. It just, it, it felt like this movie was like building up to something really exciting. And then it just kind of like deflated. Yes. Yes. That's exactly how I felt. It's like what's inside of the glass onion is actually just nothing. Like this is not an optical mm-hmm. illusion that was cleverly created. There's actually just nothing inside of it. You you thought you saw nothing. You felt like there got to be something. There isn't anything. And I the and what's interesting too that like what you mentioned, which is that the movie plays it up to be something big and and juicy. Like from the beginning, Miles Braun is is positioned as this incredibly clever genius guy you know like the whole box that he sends was so exciting I mean that was probably the most fun part of this movie honestly is watching them figure out this box and it sets up these expectations for wow the person that has sent this is the is is calling all of these people here for this incredibly clever murder mystery that he set out so the first time when Benoit Blanc solves the murder mystery, that's kind of, I guess you could call it a little bit of a misdirect where, you know, like he kind of solves it. I think we're only like a third of the way through. The whole time I'm thinking that was all well-designed and well-intentioned by uh, Miles Braun to throw off everyone else. Like he is capable of so much more and he's throwing them this little bone as a misdirect for them as well, to throw them off the scent of his case or whatever. No, it turns out that, like, he really is just that dumb. And he didn't even write the murder mystery himself. Like, it it, it really does deflate by the end. And there's so much hype and and buildup. Like, we, it's almost like we see the shadows of this, like, a large balloon. And when you see the balloon, it's a tiny little thing. And, and it's, it's formless. And that just is inherently unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I think the only part of the ending that I found satisfying was when Helen just was smashing the hell out of everything. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, that looks like so much fun. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I had a great time with that. And then she like blows up his whole house, like satisfying. Mm-hmm. Because it it's this, like, you, like, Miles sucks as a human being. He is a murderer, but he's also just a trash person. Yeah. And so that was really nice to see. 
him just have all of his stuff broken and his house blown up. I really didn't like that uh, they took everything out on the Mona Lisa. Like, what did she ever do to Ryan Johnson? <laughs> but you know what? It worked within the story. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think I think if if this had been done a little bit differently and we were more um, invested in the characters, you know, like I want them to solve the mystery because two people have been murdered and that is wrong. And I want the person who did it to pay the price for that. Cause that is just not mm-hmm. okay. So like that, like justice part has me wanting mm-hmm. to know who did it. But I, I think if we were invested more in the characters there would be more than just that like baseline. I want to see justice done bit. Like we would be actually invested in him being punished, going to jail, yada, yada. But because we spend so little time with the characters, I, I don't know. It just, it didn't feel as satisfying as I think maybe it could have. So again, like if it was structured differently, maybe the this type of ending would have been more effective even though it it departs from the traditional murder mystery structure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's true actually let's let's talk about the way that the characters are constructed um because i think again i'm going to reference the first movie uh but in the first movie the the each of the characters even when they are playing a side role, feel fully formed and um, they feel independent from each other and they feel incredibly human or they exhibit these characteristics that are incredibly human. Um, you know, there's there's family members that are uh, being threatened with the fact that they were unfaithful to their wives. They are wanting to take over the, the published publishing company. There's this like ambitious like greed there. Like each of those characters felt fully formed and human and and distinct from each other. And I one of the problems as I like thought about this Glass Onion movie more is that I think the the crew in this friend group um you know the our primary colorful characters in this movie they didn't feel fully independent as individuals. I think they're all kind of grouped into this formless blob which is Mm -hmm. those that are essentially leeching off of miles Braun. so there's miles and then there's his little henchmen and his little crew that are really taking advantage of him but them as individuals i don't think have fully formed personalities and desires and intentions and insecurities for them to feel like this really colorful class cast of characters that can can bounce off of each other like they feel felt more like caricatures more than true humans that are displaying human-like traits. No, I I completely agree. And we do spend a lot of time with each character, and they are super colorful, but I just don't think that there's any depth there. You know, I, I, I feel like I know Peg, but she's not even a main character. <laughs> yeah. And then... I, I feel like I got a good sense of like who Birdie is, but that's probably it as far as like the main characters go. Um, I I have no idea 
anything about some of the other characters other than their profession. And that's just not enough. Uh, so I, I do wish that there was, there was more there about who each individual person is, what their motivations are, what is driving them. We know you know, that, that there's this, this tension with Miles, we, but we know that they continue to be his friend for whatever reason, but there's not a lot other than that there. And I, I feel like that is to this movie's detriment for sure. Yes, yes, exactly. And there's not a lot of like tension and interaction between the, each of them either. Um, in the same way that we got to see that play out in kind of the family dynamics in the first movie where they're bantering back and forth, where they're accusing each other, or they're fighting with each other. And then those personality traits and, you know, their motivations and desires that we we previously knew about them are able to be fully realized. In, in this, like, honestly, Claire and Lionel don't really do much. You know, they're just yeah. kind of background props, honestly. They don't push the plot forward they don't contribute much they aren't really like that much intention with any of the other characters I would say like you mentioned the person that probably does the most is Birdie um and she's see she's like big and larger than life but in a lot of ways like each of them are like almost satire caricatures of the professions that they're representing which feels a little bit more simplistic than I think this movie could have done and and uh, this movie, I think, is longer than the first movie by, like, yes. almost 20 minutes, right? Mm, and I, I don't know where that time went. <laughs> yeah, it it definitely feels a lot longer. I remember in Knives Out – gosh, I just – I need to rewatch it because it was so good. But I, I remember in Knives Out being so engrossed in everything that was happening – because there were so many characters and there was so much going on and there were so many like motivations to have to keep track of and and all of these different little clues that I was gathering into my little clue bucket and I was so engaged the whole time and Glass Onion just feels so long (laughs) because it's it's all too simple and I, I just keep wondering was that the intention Because even the characters, like we just talked about, are so simple. So, like, I don't know. Like, Ryan Johnson is a good writer and he's a good director. So why were these choices made to have simple characters with a simple mystery that ends up not really even being a mystery? Like, Mm -hmm. in the first movie, in Knives Out, he he took a whodunit and he just did it so well. So like the reason why I was excited for Glass Onion is because Knives Out proves that he understands the structure of a whodunit and all of the various components that are needed to make a whodunit great. And he took that genre and he did some fun things within it. I feel like he 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 added to the genre in some ways. So with with Glass Onion, was he trying to innovate it again by going overly simple? I don't, I mm. just, I, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't solve the mystery of Glass Onion. 
is the problem that I'm having here. Yes. It is a real it really is a real life mystery because Knives Out is is not just good, it is like incredibly well crafted. Mm-hmm. I really am excited for you to rewatch that movie at some point and for us to talk about it because every detail and structural component all has its place and is all placed in each position so strategically and its pacing as well is just so on point like every little detail is on point down to the little flourishes of like small inconsequential twists and turns that don't contribute anything to the primary arc it's purely there for fun like even those moments work and so I just it's hard for me to believe and accept that someone who could craft something that well-structured and complex and layered would create this without intention. So I'm like, this is where my conspiracy came from. Because even down to, okay, let's talk about the the whole twin twist. I had so many problems with that. <laughs> because there are there's absolutely like no evidence, no clues along the way that help us even get to that point of hypothesizing that. And once you know that, there's nothing looking back on the events that also point to that. This is what Knives Out does really well, which is that when it gives us a twist and a reveal, when you think back to all of the details that you've collected in your clue box, it's all so consistent. And then he twists again and it somehow is also still consistent. It's just constructed differently. There is absolutely no evidence for there there being a a twin. Uh, And so I just felt like it was so cheap and so lazy to Mm -hmm. write it as a twin specifically. Like it's almost like he's making fun of like bad mystery writing. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I had the same thought because I was like, okay, we're not watching a soap opera. Like what are we doing here with a secret twin who has assumed this person's (laughs) identity? Like what? But I, I agree. It does feel cheap. I think that's a great way to describe it. I, uh, that that to me is is my biggest issue with this movie is that mm. voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I wonder. I don't know. Like if if there's another way to structure this and set this up in a different way. You know what would be great? Okay, here's my second conspiracy. What if, what if the third movie builds on Glass Onion? Like what if he does some like M. Night Shyamalan stuff (laughs) where the like clues from the first movie are then reframed and it all comes together in the third movie and he's building on everything that happened in the first movie. Ooh. All right, all right, all right, all right. That would be like it. epic. <laughs> it would break Twitter. Ooh, it would be so good. I don't – this is – yeah, this is me being hopeful that there's there's got to be a purpose. I'm like, there can't be this bad. There's got to be a, there's got to be a purpose to it. Okay, so we're going to be viewing the donut through the glass onion. <laughs> yes. And it will all make sense. Yes. Like we needed the glass right. onion – Yes. Because it's going to reveal mm. the center of the donut that we Fantastic. 
don't know right now. But absolutely. Like through the prism of the glass onion. Yeah. It's gonna refract (laughs) the whole of this donut in some way that we know what goes in the center of it. This is a real life mystery, Sarah. (laughs) It is a real life mystery. And unfortunately, like the the twin twist we are not going to have all of the information available to us until the third freaking movie comes yeah. out yeah man this mystery will continue to go unsolved i wonder if ryan johnson is just like laughing to himself too like i wrote a terrible mystery but the people are eating it up yo <laughs> like, i have so many questions for ryan johnson mm-hmm. i really do I I just I want to get a peek inside of his brain and I want to learn about <laughs> all of these things. Yeah. Me too. One of one of my other theories was that perhaps he was just incredibly captivated by the the point he's potentially trying to make through this movie and it's more of like a social commentary satire and like a lot more of his time and energy went into crafting that. I I don't think it's well done, but that was my other theory is that there's so much in this movie about the the like powers that be in our society and like we have characters that represent each of those arenas and they're interacting and kind of their the like most conniving sides of them are revealed through this movie. I mean even in that last like final scene where they are now shifted their loyalty over to Helen uh once they've seen that their their friend Miles like future is kind of blown up alongside with him you know like I wonder if that's what was captivating to him and that's where he spent a lot of time potentially thinking about how to craft this piece together um and that's why we we got this story uh because there's so much that's communicated with along that theme, you know, especially the the murder and Miles being this like tech entrepreneur. Like it feels like such an indictment of these pillars of society and what fame and power and um, greed will do to you. Like the the movie seems more interested in that than the mystery itself, as we've talked about already. Yeah, I I thought something similar, but I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but. In Knives Out, there's still a lot of social commentary there, right? Like, we talk about all sorts of stuff in that movie within the murder mystery. So I I had a similar theory, but then came down to, okay, he did both before. Why couldn't we do both again? Like, Yep, yeah. It's true. It's true. And in Knives Out, it actually serves to push the plot forward mm-hmm. because the person that is the accused murderer is the one that we are rooting for, not just because she's been framed now, but also because we understand her family and the struggle she faces with family members being undocumented. Like we are now rooting for her emotionally as well as cognitively, you know? And the power of those two things coming together pushes that movie forward so incredibly well. And in fact, like you mentioned, yeah, the the social commentary stuff is mixing and making the mystery even better. Like they, the two things are serving each other so well. Um, so clearly, yeah, he has done both. And a cardboard cutout 
covered in glitter <laughs> is just not the same as lightning striking twice. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like the glue on there, to put the <laughs> glitter on there is like not even like a smooth layer. So that the glitter is like uniformly on the cardboard. It's like the like squiggle glitter. And then somehow we just Amazing. threw some glitter at it and it's not really even well crafted either. Wonderful. Okay. So it's a, it's a first grader. Yeah. Created the lightning bolt is mm-hmm. what we're saying. Excellent. But, but, but then there's another mystery to solve here, Ooh. which is how is it, how, why is it captivating so many people? That's the other mystery I can't solve. Objectively, like, how did Ryan Johnson make knives out and then make glass onion, which we both didn't love. But then clearly it's really doing something. <laughs> like, we're missing something here. And I I do think this is where I just – I want to have data on things and we're never <laughs> going to have this data. But, like, I had fun watching, even though the mm-hmm. whole time I'm going, I don't like some of these choices. This is super shallow. I am mm-hmm. – this murder mystery is not a mystery to me. So, like, even though, like, while I'm watching it, I have these qualms, I'm still having a good time. I think a lot of it has to do with just the way that Ryan Johnson writes. So, like, structurally, I have some issues with the film, but there are moments of this movie that I thought were really funny and witty. I do think that sometimes this movie has its own head up its ass, but – for the most part, I I enjoyed the banter and just watching Benoit Blanc be Benoit Blanc. So like it was an enjoyable experience for me, but the second it was over, I was like, shoot, man, Knives Out was better. I'm gonna watch that movie. So I mm-hmm. I would just be curious to see, like, yes, it's getting all of these watches and it's number one on Netflix or whatever. But I, I would be curious to see if it's being rewatched again by users, because I have no desire to watch that movie again. Whereas Knives Out, I have a clear, distinct desire to watch again. We'll never get this information from Netflix on if Glass Onion's being rewatched, but I I think that would be an interesting metric to look at. Because I, I think one time, it's fun, you know? Put it on in an afternoon, and just have a good time. You might be like playing on your phone while it's going. Fine. It's a Netflix movie. That's what you do when you're watching a Netflix movie. But it's not one that you're going to probably revisit like you would revisit the first one. Mm-hmm. You bring up an interesting point, which is that it would be interesting to also understand what people loved about the first one as well. You know? Mm-hmm. Was it the colorful characters and the fun banter and the humor? Because there's a lot of that. And it is – an incredibly entertaining ride even without the mystery honestly seeing that family together interact in a room is like already a great movie yeah you know (laughs) and so I wonder if Ryan Johnson's also like I just I've given people what they want like I don't maybe you need to spend hours pouring over a well-crafted mystery if that's not what's gonna sell and not really what people are going for anyway you know what I mean Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's good I don't know it'll be fascinating to see It'll be really interesting to see what he does with the third one based on – because it's almost like there's these two avenues and he's potentially experimented with both and seen the reception of both and we'll see how it comes together in the third one. Like which avenue does he continue to pursue? 
gosh, I mm. hope that it's a good, I hope that your conspiracy theory is correct and that it turns out that it is a, just a rich, densely packed murder mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Glory. Yeah. Or that they all like feed into the third one somehow. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or they reframe what happened in Ooh. the glass onion. You know, like we get a flashback to the glass onion scenes and like Ooh. something that transpires in the third movie like re- totally reframes that. Ooh. Oh, yeah. that would be great. Okay. That would be great. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. I just – I think based on what Ryan Johnson did with The Last Jedi, I just want to have so much respect for him because he, he it basically was like an F you to all the diehard Star Wars lore <laughs> lovers and was like, yeah. we're going to just – I he's not interested in doing the fan service thing that J.J. Abrams did, you know, in the in the um, ninth movie. Was it – yeah, the ninth movie. So – he clearly like is is kind of a a um independent spirit and will and like feels convictions about what he wants to do and what he doesn't want to do and has the audacity and the confidence to like execute on them. So I just I love that about him and I'm I'm just intrigued what will transpire in this in this third movie. Like he's so far from his some of the, the data points on um his history and with that movie and that case study. He's okay pissing some people off. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah, we we will see. We'll see what mm-hmm. happens. What creative twists and turns he has up his sleeve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any other last thoughts about Glass Onion? Uh, should we talk pinky rings? <gasps> oh, my gosh. How many are there? Uh, I counted two. Two. Okay, well, two. my first guess is Miles Braun. He is not wearing one, which oh, okay. highly disappointed me. Okay, so my next guess would be possibly Duke. You would be correct. Uh, he gives off that, that vibe. He does give be. off that vibe. Yep, and yep. then, well, if we're talking males here. We are. I mean, the other main male character is Lionel. You are correct again. <sighs> wow. That's two good data points. <laughs> I'm just floored that this theory is continuing to collect great data. Wow. Yeah. This is an interesting one, though, because, like, the, the bad, bad guy is Miles, and he's not wearing one. But then, like, the, like, second tier, the lower tier bad guys are wearing them. So that's just an interesting little thing to to puzzle over. You know, Sarah, the, the pinky ring was the ultimate red herring in this movie. You know, we thought not- that they might be the murders because of their pinky rings. But alas. Honestly, so, like, <sighs> when, I mean, early in the movie, I was like, oh miles and i was hoping that the movie would be like interesting enough to make it lionel like part of me was like oh no don't make it like the black man who is the murderer like please don't do that but also like make it somebody other than miles because that would be interesting uh so that pinky ring gave me like a moment of hope 
Yeah. And then, uh, nope, and no. it was Miles. Yeah. So, yep. You gave this film much credit along the way. I did too. <laughs> okay, so who was your main did who was your primary uh hypothesis? Did you have one? For constantly what? shifting. For who who the murderer was. Oh no, Miles. Oh, okay. You thought yeah. it was him the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It's just <laughs> It was just and the, and like little things along the way too, like I guessed correctly. So like even like the drink thing, like I spotted it correctly the first time. Oh. And was like, why did you change it the second like you know, so like I was worried about oh. that and confused. And then like even like the conversation between Miles and Duke, I was like, Oh, those weren't numbers. He was blackmailing him. And so it's like mm. these little things along the way that I'm like wow, I really, like, it It really was that? Like, <laughs> the only part that I didn't get of this movie was the twin sister, because I'm never going to guess twin sister. It's just a cop-out. It's just, just a, uh, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. It was, it was fine. It was fun. It was a fun little ride, but I just, I don't know. Knives Out was, was challenging and kept mm-hmm. you on your toes, and that was mm-hmm. super fun. And mm-hmm. this was like, okay is this like a double bluff type situation like yeah it's very clearly this so then are you gonna make it not that yep yep nope (laughs) nope so we share Benoit Blanc's sentiment of it really is just this (laughs) yep yep sure is oh poor Benoit Blanc all he wanted was to come out of the pandemic and have just a nice case, juicy case, <laughs> sink his teeth into. And he couldn't even get that. Couldn't even get that. What mm. the heck? I mean, why have rich billionaires if not to entertain the world's greatest Southern detective? Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> Come on now. What gives? It is a big F you to like the tech billionaire. It is archetype, which is, which is quite funny. You yeah. know, I'm I'm not it's mad great. at that. Yeah, especially because I feel like in the past few decades of sci-fi movies, we've always gotten the like genius tech yes. billionaire, you know, yeah. who's so smart and developing all this like incredibly complex technology and owns the big corporation and all of this stuff. Who's genuinely a genius, and this one's just like, no, he's actually just an idiot. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's an idiot who knows how to use people. Yes, like, how to manipulate people. You know mm-hmm. what? You're not wrong. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that we are right about the third movie. I, this is one of those moments where I'm like, I hope our conspiracy theories come true. I hope our dreams come true. <laughs> I do too. And we'll see. In we'll, we'll be waiting with bated breath. For 2024, you said? Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's what it says in IMDb right now. So we'll All see. Right. We'll see what happens because that is quite a long ways in the future. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, this was our review and discussion of Glass Onion. You can find it available to stream on Netflix. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. 
This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection and is something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our strategic whimsy experiment and we encourage you to find a way to infuse whimsy into your days. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about Glass Onion. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at Strategic Whimsy Experiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week for a very exciting episode, our annual tradition, where we share our top 10 list of films that we each watched in 2022, the grand reveal, our way to reflect on the year. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you next week.